world leaders are currently gathering in Glasgow to see if we can deliver on our climate change goals. There is an urgency, but companies and industries are there in force for COP26. See if we can scale up and meet the challenge. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the National in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio content. With me is co-host and the National's Future Editor, Kelsey Warner. Hi, Kelsey. Hi, Mustafa. So big week. Big week. And usually I am one for optimism, but reading and kind of setting the table for COP26 you know, sends one into a bit of a pessimism spiral. The UN reported the last seven years were the hottest on record. We reached peak sea level rise in 2021, and carbon emissions are rising through 2030, despite us needing to have them if we are to meet our climate goals and avert crisis. So the urgency is now. It is, as you said at the top, a challenge, but also a real opportunity to scale technology, scale massive investment and marshal you know, human capital and potential for us to survive. So to get a behind-the-scenes, on-the-ground color look, we spoke to London Bureau Chief Damien McElroy. Damien, uh, you're in Glasgow at the moment uh, for the beginning of COP26. Thanks so much for uh, taking time out of what I assume is a very busy official first morning to talk to us. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, it's been an interesting first morning. The setup here is set on a very extensive cam- campus and there's a bit of familiarization to go on. A lot of people are trying to get into the area. It really is a step above the usual kind of summit where, uh, you know, there's a lot of official delegations and there's a lot of um, media, etc. But, you know, you have two or three other elements here of exhibitors, of um, activists, of um, people who want to demonstrate. So there is a real big feeling of a milieu which um, we're all entering into. And, um, you know, then the morning quickly gave way to lots of official delegations coming. And then it was into the speeches by the leaders like Boris Johnson talking about how this is the last minute to midnight. Damien, can you give us a bit of sentiment analysis on the ground? We're coming out of Rome, G20s arriving, official delegations, as you just described. But what is the mood on the ground there, one minute to midnight? So I think it's very much a sense that there needs to be a bit of a reboot of that effort after what happened in Rome. Um, The um, Rome Declaration uh, of the G20 um, obviously declared a mid-century target for net carbon zero, but there's a real feeling that we have to get more concrete figures and we have to get more plans and we have to really uh, see people talking beyond what was uh, promised in Rome. Uh, so the people who are gathered here really want, really feel that they need to take this to another stage. And there's quite a passion for that, but um, there's also a big recognition that it is, um, it's going to be a tough ask and getting everyone in line is, is a big challenge for the organizers. There's a well-publicized figure that there's 196 countries present over the next 12 days, but there are some big names absent or, you know, checking in via video link. Can you name who is there, but also who is maybe conspicuously missing? So obviously the U.S. president has landed. He's here. We've seen um, 
the G20 leader Mario Draghi from Italy, most if not all of the Europeans are here. Um, but then once you go further afield, then you know it gets a bit more mixed picture. So there's um, there's no president of China. He will be giving a video address, um, and that's the big big thing that was really wanted by the organisers to show that they could really have that worldwide scope uh, to balance that off. Prime Minister Modi of India is here, though, of course, he uh, is still very determinedly saying the country won't set a plan for reducing its net carbon figures. So there's a good mix of people here. They didn't get everyone. And that's, that's a big problem because a lot of people question whether anything that is agreed here will be credibly carried forward. So there, there's there's some healthy skepticism, um, as you as you alluded to. There's going to be people who are protest protesting that not enough is being done quickly enough. We have quite a bit of political power convening in Glasgow, whether physically or virtually. But also, it seems as if the fault lines are also becoming apparent because while many countries have made pledges uh, of net zero by particular dates in the build up to um, the conference. I think there's, you know, well over 50 countries in the world, maybe more, that have made those those pledges. There seems to be a bit of disagreement on how to how to move forward uh, philosophically as well as practically. Because, as you quite rightly said, if you are a developing nation or you're in, you're not one of the established um, developed countries that have had their period of of growth and and who are actually historically uh, the biggest polluters, um, then you would say, why should we suffer? Why should our population suffer? And, and lose out on their era of development because you've decided now that this is an urgent issue. So it feels like perhaps success would be being able to come up with an agreement on how to move forward that might tick both boxes for developed and developing nations. Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about this is that um, a very long time ago, the developed nations promised essentially $100 billion a year to help the developing nations adapt to climate change and to co-op the technological developments that will help them cope with with that. We're not at that figure. There's some hope that we can get there or we can get to that figure within a couple of years, which would allow the organizers to say that the achievement has been made. Um, but I think one of the things that, that is quite interesting about the exhibitions here the there's a there's a sort of mini expo if you like of all the nations and many agencies and companies and stands and um, a lot of that is around the development challenges in terms of innovation and in terms of technology and in terms of you know best practice and sharing knowledge and that's where the big energy is that kind of idea that we can make leaps forward that will help countries not only the ones that can innovate quickly and develop their transport systems or their water systems or co-op um, hydro or solar, but also the small developing nations to, to get access to this stuff. And there's some quite exciting announcements, I think, is structurally in the pipeline for this week, which will provide assurances that um, that can be funded and it can be brought to those countries that are most in need. And we also have a large focus on how to adapt the finance system. Mark Carney, who's a former governor of both the Bank of Canada and the Bank of England, is the UN um, finance 
climate envoy and he will be on Wednesday, you know, the star of the show. And a lot of that will be about how to get the system to change so that, um, uh, you know, the, the financing is going to where the world needs it to go, which is to adapt and to address the climate challenge. Paris 2015 often is referred to as the R&D conference. It's when we outlined the issues that we still needed to tackle in order to address climate change challenges. 2021 feels like the big opportunity. Okay, we did the R&D over the last six years. We have the biofuels, the green hydrogen, the green steel, solar, wind at cost parity or better than fossil fuels. We've, we've checked a lot of these boxes. Now it's time to scale. Are you feeling like scale is happening this year? Are you feeling like the finance conversations really are going to happen? There will be teeth in scale this year? I think structurally, if it doesn't come out of here, it's hard to see where it's going to come out of because there has been a multi-year effort leading up to this to really try and get the financial systems on board. Um, The sort of financial leaders are all obviously turning up. They have the system set up where they're... they will have Mark Carney and, and Rishi Sunak and Janet Yellen and people coming to put their backing behind this. So the efforts are in place, the structures are in place. Um, there is obviously though a bit of a backlash within the investment community that axiomatically setting the system up like this is not, not the correct way forward. But if this effort, which has, as I say, been multi-year, um, does not come through and at least form the basis of how to go forward, then it's hard to see how anything would. So it's good. It's good to hear on the, on the one hand that the finance discussion is happening, and also as you mentioned, you know, with the exhibition um, on the ground that business is very much present um, at, at COP twenty six, which is good to hear. Um, but but the, there is a kind of elephant in the room, um, which is the the, the current uh, quote unquote energy crisis. Um, it, you know, you live in the UK, uh, Damien. It, it's not long ago that that people were were, were scrambling for petrol um, at the petrol stations because of the the supply issues. We have um, you know supply issues in, in in Asia as well, not just in in Europe, in the US, and in general with with high energy prices. There's been a lot of noise about how, um, on the one hand, that's a result of the energy transition and, and efforts to to meet the, the Paris goals. But then on the other, it seems to become highly politicized. And there's a, you know, the, some of the people that could resolve it in the short term are going to be there together in, in Glasgow. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the ultimate dilemma. It's, it's, um, it's about making choices now, but it's also about trying to find ways to, um, you know, say, working practically and acknowledge that you do have a demand to meet for for the society that you've got at the moment. So I don't think anyone here has really squared that circle. The um, developed countries are obviously looking very intensively into scaling up nuclear as one option, but then, you know, people recoil in horror at the idea of of how to deal with, you know, the nuclear waste that then results. Um, So everything involves making choices. It, It involves dilemmas. You know, we've seen here in Europe this squall in the early autumn where essentially there was no wind, so the renewables weren't working the proper level. There was a kind of move away from natural gas storage, and so therefore Europe didn't have uh, sufficient reserves, at least as far as the market was looking at it. And 
Um, you know, we didn't have brownouts or anything that, you know, you see in places like Pakistan or South Africa. But the big challenge for renewables is not about reducing energy consumption, especially because a lot of electricity demand is essentially baked into how we're going to make the transition to new forms of transport, for example. So, you know, there's unavoidable demand out there that's going to be rising and countries basically need to do the hard work of making choices on how to build and invest and create critical infrastructure. There's a lot of focus on that here, but no one, I I think, is going to say that they've solved the, the ultimate dilemma of how to move the energy mix along the spectrum. Yeah, it's about energy security as much as it is about efficiency and sustainability at this stage. That's basically the big dilemma for the people here. Damien McElroy, the Nationals London Bureau Chief, thanks so much for being with us and uh, I hope it goes well uh, in Glasgow. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me on. Kelsey Warner, thanks so much. Thank you. All that remains to thank our production team, Arthur Edison, Ayesha Khan and you all for listening. Do join us again next time. 